So welcome to Restoration this morning. Uh, Today is the first Sunday after Labor Day. This is a Sunday of new starts. We have uh, our children's ministry kickoff that's going on right now. So if a lot of you are wondering, wow, the gymnasium sounds really quiet right now. (laughs) Because for the last several weeks, uh, the kids have been uh, with us for the whole service. And now they are excitedly uh, beginning their new classes, which we're very pumped about. And after the service, uh, we're pretty excited for the volunteer uh, training that's going to be going on as well. Uh, Also, we're encouraging folks to get plugged into life groups. Uh, We have a, a community night that's going to be taking place in a couple of weeks uh, on September 21st that we're looking forward to, and our own church birthday is just around the corner. We're very excited about this. We're going to be stepping into our third year of being a church and doing church together, and I'm just, oh, I'm elated about that. That's just so exciting. Now, as far as the church calendar is concerned, we're still in ordinary time, and this is the season of growth. This is a season of vibrancy. And often uh, throughout this season, we read stories from the Gospels of of Jesus' teaching about the increase of of faith, of wisdom in our lives. Uh, And we learn uh, that from generation to generation, that God's kingdom continues to grow and expand. Which is why when we come to today's Gospel reading... It sort of comes as a big, wet blanket right now, doesn't it? As you probably read it this morning, you're like, ooh, these are harsh words. Like, these are difficult. You know, here we are, kicking off a new season of ministry, celebrating the growth of our church, and in this assigned reading, Jesus is telling us to renounce everything that we own. He's telling us to hate our families. He's telling us to hate even our own life. Like, this isn't a vibrant growth strategy, Lord Jesus. <laughs> this, this isn't helpful. In fact, can you imagine a, a politician standing up and, and speaking like this? Guess what? I'm going to lower your wages, I'm going to increase taxes, and I'm going to make sure that your families uh, have plenty of division within them. Now come and join me, right? Now, in fact, usually when we complain about politicians we don't like, Those are the things that we accuse them of of doing and saying. And here, in our gospel text, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying some really difficult things to a great crowd, the text tells us. A massive crowd of followers. Now, by the way, the fact that Jesus is speaking to this large crowd, that's not really a, a small point. You see, Jesus is not here speaking to the religious leaders Uh, to the Pharisees, to the scribes, uh, to the priests. No, he's talking to the normal folk. He's talking to those uh, who are are coming in from the towns and the villages. He's not speaking to those who gather in the temple. He's speaking to those who gather in community centers, right? He's not standing, and he's also not not putting forth this high bar that's, that's specific to leaders, right? To pastors and elders, No, this is ground-level stuff that Jesus puts forth to us this morning. Three times in our passage, he says, if you want to be a disciple, and then he says these difficult things. So my point is that he's speaking to us this morning. We don't get to slither out of this one, do we? And we we don't like hearing this. Like, these are really high standards that he's placing on us. Instead... You know, it'd be much more um, 
easy and lovely if perhaps on this Sunday we, we read passages where Jesus says things like, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Or when he says, I am the good shepherd. You know, that calls to mind Psalm 23, when, when God puts oil on our wounds and, and gives us plenty of cool water and, and food to take care of us. No, instead, when we turn to Luke 14 and we read this, we really quickly want to flip the page and go to Luke 15, where we hear about the parable of, of the prodigal son and the lost sheep. We want to know that God seeks after us. But the fact is, is that all of these teachings come from the same person, Jesus Christ, who loves us completely. Now, uh, Bishop Barron, he's a, and, and his, Barron is not his title, that's his last name. He's a, he's a Catholic bishop. Bishop Barron, I just think that's like the coolest name. Anyway, I thought as I was playing this service, like I'm not going to geek out about Bishop Barron's name, and, and here we go. So there you go. Bishop Barron, great. He's got, uh, uh, yeah. He, anyway, he defines love as, as this. He says to love someone is to will the good in someone. And there's kind of two parts to that. You have the first part, which is to encourage and affirm the goodness that you see in their heart. But there's also a a tough side of this as well, where you warn your loved ones against the snares of the world, or you warn them of, of bad habits that you see them accruing onto their life. Now, our culture is really good at the first part of that, but really not so good at the second part. And I think we as Minnesotans especially aren't so great at the, at the warning, you know, the tough love part. But Jesus says these things to us this morning because he loves us completely. He loves us on both sides of that definition of love. And Jesus says things like, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so today we read something that's very similar. And so Jesus Christ, like an elite surgeon, makes the incision, and he goes straight for the cancer that's threatening our soul. And there's three things that I'd like to draw out from our gospel passage from Luke 14 today. So three things that he's asking of us. First, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that term hate, we know quite well what hate means, and I'm not trying to um, water this down, but this is, Jesus does not mean that we should have evil sentiments towards our family members. This is a very typical um, ancient Semitic exaggeration. Jesus is using hyperbole to make a very strong point. He wants to get our attention, and he wants to make sure that we're listening clearly. Because the scriptures quite clearly do tell us to honor our parents, to provide for our children, to lay down our lives for our spouse. So in his striking, ear-pinching way, Jesus is saying that all of the affection, the honor, the charity, the passion that you have for even your closest relationships in your life, those should be dwarfed in comparison to your love for him. Jesus wants all of your love. Which, by the way, who talks like that? Like, who who says that? Like, who tells people this? Who says, you need to love me more than your own mother? 
Like, who says that to you, right? Or you need a, I need your love, your affection more than your wife or your daughter. Like, that's, we all know that's super weird, right? Like, Larry, I love you a lot, but if you came to me and you said that I need to love you more than I love my wife, I'd have some questions about you. Like, I'd probably call the cops. I'd say, this is, we need to have a chat, Larry. This is a little difficult, you know? So if, and then another thing, is that if you are here this morning and you're trying to make up your mind over who Jesus is, like today's passage gives you two choices. Today's passage makes it a little bit clear to you. Jesus is either a confused, deranged narcissist, an egomaniac, or he's telling the truth. Or he knows a thing or two about the nature of the universe and the state of our human hearts and what orders our affections should have in this life. But when we come across this passage, those are the only two options. Jesus is, you you can't say that Jesus is just a good teacher when he's running around saying stuff like this (laughs) to his disciples. Jesus wants all of your love. Secondly, in verse 27, Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is not giving us a uh, new workout regimen. He's not wanting us to, to pick up this beautiful cross that Weston made and have us carry it around the city a couple times. He doesn't want us to get buff. Well, sorry, I was going to make another smart aleck comment there, but anyway. (laughs) Nor is Jesus making a fashion statement. He's not telling us to to wear crosses uh, as jewelry or to put crosses up on our walls, although that's totally fine. I do that. We do that. That's a good way to remind ourselves who we belong to. Instead, we must not forget that the cross is an instrument of legal punishment by the state. Jesus was crucified by Rome at the demands of the religious leaders for proclaiming the good news of his lordship. And throughout history, those who proclaim that Jesus is Lord have been tortured, imprisoned, and even killed. What Jesus, is, what Jesus does, he, expect, he expects his followers to do. Many of you have probably heard this quote from Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran um, pastor and and martyr who he himself lost his, his life on account of his faith. Bonhoeffer says this, The cross is laid on every Christian. It begins with the call to abandon the attachments of the world. And as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ. When Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids him to come and die. You see, Jesus not only wants all of your love, he wants all of your life as well. So what, what exactly does this look like, though? This is a challenging thing for us to hear, and there's, there's two ways that I kind of want to, to pose to you of how this can look. So first of all, I think that we need to identify, to, to align ourselves with our brothers and sisters who, whose lives are very much shaped in this suffering, uh, cruciform sort of way. And we should tell their stories. We should tell the stories of, of people like Pastor Andrew Brunson from Turkey, who, you've, who we've prayed for in this, uh, from here in our prayers of the people several times. You've probably read a, a, about uh, his imprisonment in Turkey for over two years uh, for preaching the gospel there. 
Or we tell the stories of 27 Catholic priests who've been killed in Mexico over the last two years simply for taking a stand against the cartel there and the drug trade. Or Mariam Ibrahim in Sudan, who in 2014 was charged for apostasy and adultery simply for marrying a Christian man, even though she herself has always identified as Christian. Uh, Her mother was Christian, uh, but her father was Muslim, and so for her to marry a Muslim uh, caused her to be sentenced to death row. Thankfully, she was able to flee and now lives here in the U.S. But we should tell these stories to ourselves and to our children and remind ourselves of, of what the cost is to following Christ. We ourselves, we have been baptized into the body of Christ. This means that we are sacramentally and mysteriously bound to our brothers and sisters, those who we've never even met. We read last week in our passage from Hebrews that when they suffer, we suffer. So we tell tell their stories. We pray for them. We pray with them. But secondly, and I want to be careful with this, so I'm I'm going to try to state this clearly, but we also don't sell ourselves short when it comes to taking up our own crosses. You see, Jesus, yes, he might call you to live a life like those who I just mentioned. You might be called to live a a remarkable life that, that places upon you remarkable amounts of suffering, but it's also easy for us to hear those stories And think since we ourselves aren't experiencing those things, that somehow we are of a lesser value to Jesus. And I want to delicately push against that idea there. Because, and I don't mean to downplay the persecution of our brothers and sisters in the global church by any means, but I'm reminded of that passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, when Paul says, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Because the fact is, many of you have been called by God to live your lives in very specific ways, and you are paying a price for your faith. So for example, several people, several families in this home, or in in this room, uh, in our congregation, have been called by God to expand your families through fostering and adoption. And this has come at a tremendous financial an emotional cost to you. And for some, the decision has, has, has caused constant berating, uh, beration by your, your family. Some of you are lawyers, medical professionals, counselors, and teachers, and it's becoming more evident to your colleagues that your faith actually does impact the decisions that you make, what kind of clients you pursue, uh, what kind of initiatives you get excited about, or the ones that you don't get excited about. And you're starting to get a reputation among your colleagues. And any day you might get called in and, and be shown the door. Or for some of you, you've, you've felt called by the Lord to take lesser paying careers. You're serving people who are poor and marginalized, forgotten in our society. And you're serving them in a very up-close and personal way. It barely pays the bills. Your friends are baffled by you. But you're following your Savior. So my brothers and sisters, keep on following your Savior. Take up your cross. He wants all of your love. He wants all of your life. And now our third section. So in our third section, we have these, I'm going to, I'm lumping all of verse 28 and onward. Here in our third section, we have two parables. 
We have a story of someone building a tower and a king preparing to go to war. Neither of them, the problem is though, that neither of them take the time to consider whether or not they have enough resources to finish the task. The builder becomes the laughing stock of his uh, town, and the king is shamed by having to form a negotiation party, and he has to try to mitigate the impending takeover. So Jesus tells us that likewise, one should not be a disciple without thinking things through. Count the cost, he says, because here's the deal. Jesus wants all of our worship. The builder and the king most likely failed because their attention was split. What kind of builder doesn't finish the job, doesn't finish his project, right? Isn't it one who has four or five side hustles that are going? Or what kind of king loses a battle in this way? Isn't it one who's too busy thinking about other skirmishes and other uh, projects on his plate? Renounce everything else and focus on me. Jesus says. He wants all of your love, he wants all of your life, and he wants all of your worship. So what's in it for us? Right? We're good Americans. That's that's a fair question to ask, right? What's in it for us? So what do we get out of this? We give up everything, so what do we get? Well, for one, Jesus is creating a new family. A new family. Yes, we hope and pray that our own mothers and sisters and brothers and our brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, our children, our spouse are able to join us, certainly. But he's giving us this family as well. We work together. We play together. We make each other mad. We forgive each other. We weep together and we laugh together. We worship and love our heavenly Father together. We are the baptized body of Christ. And yes, Jesus wants all of your life, but guess what? He gives you all of his as well. He gives you his life. Receive his joy for having the forgiveness of sins. Receive his peace uh, that passes all understanding. Receive the power of his Holy Spirit that's indwelling within you. He gives you wisdom, fellowship, assurance, and the list goes on and on and on of all that he gives you. He gives you his life. And furthermore, Jesus Christ sees the project through to completion. Before time itself, he sat down and he counted the cost. God does not run out of resources and become the mockery of the neighborhood. God does not miscalculate the battle and have to send in a negotiation party. He was victorious over sin and darkness. He's redeeming the whole world and he's going to be in order so that we can be with him forever. And so the question is, will you follow? Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you have given us everything. And we praise you and we love you. I pray, Lord, that you would increase our hearts, increase our faith, Lord, that we can give you all of our love, all of our life, and all of our worship. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.